You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. It's the middle of winter, even though April is like two days away in this part of the country. It's been one of those winters. And you would think the most popular beverages like hot chocolate or coffee or something warm. It's not. It is uh, beer. And it's beer from Bruhalla, beer from Drecker Brewing. And these guys are just knocking it out of the park. They've got they've got the magic sauce. And I just am so excited today to have the president and co-founder of Drecker Brewing and Bruhalla on Mike Seminary and Friends, Mark Bjornstead. It's great to see you. How are you today? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on. It's I, I had to open it. It's my my pleasure, by the way. I had to open it that way because we're we're having kind of a long winter for folks that aren't, you know, here presently. It it's been one of those long historic kind of winters and and maybe that's really helping beer sales. I don't know. What do you think, Mark? Is it helping beer sales, the weather? <laughs> well, we're certainly going through, you know, whatever it is, spring fever, cabin fever, you know, just put, you know, fed up with winter. Um, and that's that's what's been great about the brewery and then now Brujala is that we, we really designed these spaces. And, um, you know, our dream for them is to be community spaces, places for people to gather um, you know, get elbow to elbow and, and get around a table and, you know, share a drink, share food, um, most importantly, share a conversation and an experience. And people love doing that. So the winter, the winter drives people together. You know, we want to congregate. We want to get warm and cozy with each other. Um, that's certainly happening. It is. And we'll talk more about that, especially uh, about the, what, what I'm going to call the um, unique environment and culture that that i'm noticing at your place of business it's 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 very welcoming it's warm it's all about connection and community and building relationships and you've done just a masterful job but you and we'll talk a lot about those things but you didn't start out in this career path you you had uh, a medical profession that you were pursuing and for the better part of 10 years, it can kind of share with, with the listeners of Mike Seminary and friends, your, your journey into the medical field. And then we'll talk about what, what triggered you to say, okay, there may be something else I should be doing. Yeah. You know, life's a funny thing. Um, you know, you, um, I, I think that it's possible to have, you know, many dreams of where you want to go with in life. Um, and that, that just, that, that provides, it's provided me just tons of opportunities. So, um, you know, my original career was in anesthesia. Um, I was a CRNA. Um, I practiced, um, for 10, 10 years full time. Um, and then as I was stepping away, as the brewery was getting busier, I, I kind of just went to a call position. Um, and that was kind of a nice way to fade out of that career. Um, I had, um, you know, the time of my life practicing anesthesia, that was everything I ever wanted that career to be. Uh, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love solving problems. Um, I love chemistry and, um, you know, control, um, in chaos. That's what anesthesia is. It's, um, 
It's usually the top most stressful job in the in the country, and uh, and I loved every minute of it. It was um, a phenomenal career. I got to work with amazing people. You learn a lot about yourself um, doing stuff like that. You learn um, you learn how to function as a team, and you know really that that was a that was a great business training um, you know environment. We have to go through some pretty pretty terrible situations as a team. Um, things where we're not always in agreement where, you know, we're advocating for the patient, but we have different opinions about that. Um, and things need to happen fast. It's under chaos. And the, the, the challenge for the team is that we have to, we have to hold each other accountable. We have to hold ourselves to a standard, but we also have to do that for another patient in an hour or two. We have to do that the next day. So we have to keep working together and we can never cross lines where we, we stop functioning, you know, effectively as a team and and being respectful of each other. And, uh, that's hard to do. Um, it's hard to do that in that stressful environment and keep your head above water and maintain the culture of the OR. And I honestly, I think that was great experience for me in a business of, of, you know, businesses are chaos all the time. And how do you, how do you stay focused? What are the true objectives? How do we, stick together as a team and how do we stay to, you know, how do we stay together on this, this common goal? And, um, that was some of the best training I, I think I could have had for, for a life in business too. Mm. But before we leave your previous career, which by the way, it, um, can be handsomely rewarded that, that career. They, um, CRNAs um, in most parts of the country can make a pretty darn good living. And I'm assuming it's connected to the the enormous responsibility. So when you say stressful, is it it part because of the nature of the types of egos that might be in the room, but more importantly, what's at hand at the life of the patient? Because that, that, I'm assuming that's part of the stress because you a life ha- kind of hangs in the balance, if you will. Yeah, you know, um, not all surgeries are planned and um, you know simple things. Um, sometimes they really are. Um, there's significant risk. That means that there's you know that's ultimately significant risk to the patient's life to to do that surgery or you know whether it's an emergency what they're under, and that means people's lives are in the balance and that that really that controlling that uh protecting that patient and all of the intricities that go into that that's really the responsibility of the anesthesia um team that's in the room um and working with the surgery team as well but you know we always kind of said that surgeons are there to do the procedure anesthesia is there to get the patient through it um and that's that's a lot of responsibility um you know it's it's not um you know you have to be adaptable things change they don't always go the direction you want them to go and um, keeping yourself focused, keeping yourself grounded and learning to function under that stress is, is a huge part of the training. You know, during, during um, our residencies and, and training um, you know, education, a lot of work is put into inducing stressful environments and then challenging us to, um, you know, recall, recall patient history, recall labs, do calculations in our head, all while alarms are going off, people are yelling at us about what's happening in the room, and, and you have to maintain focus and, and maintain your composure. And um, like I said, you learn a lot about yourself, you learn how to function under stress when that's that's going on. And, and it really, 
um, it, it really becomes a part of your character as, as a whole that you, you're trained to, in a situation like that, almost heighten your focus, almost, you know, calm down. I would say I'm actually at my best when, when things are the worst around me is that I find it now, I find my strengths and focusing in those moments that that's, you know, and it's not just in the operating room that anesthesia gets called to do that. We, because of our work in those chaos and those, um, those emergency moments are part of our specialty is regaining control over a situation, you know, whether it's a, a patient that's, you know, kind of spiraling out of control, having a, you know, very, um, emergent situation happening that could be in the ER up in the ICU out of one of the floors, we get called to those situations. And, um, we're the ones that are there to try and, um, regain control, figure out what's going on, think systematically and logically through this and direct the team. And, um, that's, it's really rewarding work. It's really stressful work, but it's something that you can train for, um, because stress and, and, uh, your reaction to stress is, is relative. It's something you can train for and you can control. Had, had you ever entertained pursuing another level of your medical career, becoming, you know, an anesthesiologist had, had ever crossed your mind? No. Um, you know, especially in Fargo, um, the the practice model really is that um you know crnas are the ones that are in the room um doing the cases doing the work um and you work as a team but i really i i followed both anesthesiologists and crnas and really i knew that crna was was the direction for me okay so along that journey that 10-year journey where you were full-time crna where along the path did the idea of becoming an entrepreneur uh, come into play, and was it specifically? I'm going to open up a brewery with somebody. How did how did that happen, and when did it happen? No, I, I think there was always a part of me that um, was 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 looking for looking for an opportunity to do something special, to do something bigger than myself, uh, to be a part of something bigger than myself. That was, um, you know, I had the opportunity to, to do lots of things like that as a, as a kid, uh, young adult, to, to be a part of teams that really accomplished amazing things, um, to, to really do some outstanding stuff. And it was always better when you did it as a team. Um, I, was a, um, I, I was a gymnast growing up. I did, um, I competed personally or individually. I won national championships with that. It's great to get up on the podium, but there is nothing that compares to um, what I did as a team. I, as a team of gymnasts, um, I spent every weekend in high school going to NBA games, doing halftime shows. We were the number one F NBA halftime um, show in the country. And um, that was truly impressive upon me about how you know, I could work every day, um, you know, for years working on my individual stuff and I could get a gold medal and I could get up on the podium, but that you don't get to share that with anyone that there's, there's no, there's no synergy with that. It, it's, it's yours. It's yours alone. You're the only one that understands what you did to get there. And that's great. It's great to achieve that personally, but there's something really cool about when a team of people get together, add their own specialties, you know, you become something greater than the sum of its parts. 
and sharing that success and sharing that uh, what you created with other people is so rewarding. Um, I always knew I was going to look for something like that. I, I knew that I that there was an opportunity to to start a business, to start something that would have a, a you know a large impact on the community, and to be able to do that as it, with a team was um, something I was always looking for. So the, the idea for the brewery, you know, really started um, you know in college and, and shortly after there where. Um, Darren Montpleasure, one of my partners, um, and I were, you know, best friends from growing up, we would travel around, um, we would be visiting other places. And one of the, one of the coolest places we would always go, whether it's on a, you know, skiing or hiking trip or, you know, visiting another city for a concert, um, we would go and visit a, a brewery. We'd visit their tasting room. This is really before tap rooms were what they are now. Um, they'd have small little tasting rooms that you could, try the different beers that that brewery made. Um, sometimes you could get a pint or hang out there for a little bit. We saw something so cool that would happen. We'd be in one, you know, we'd be in a small tasting room. It'd be the bartender who just, you know, expertly knew all of these beers was able to tell the story behind the name and what that meant to the brewery or the community that why they named it that what made this beer different, a little bit of history of the style, what you should look for in tasting it and was really guiding people through this experience. And the mix of people in the room would be, you know, be like one or two locals that hung out there a lot. It'd be one or two beer nerds that were, you know, really into the the science or the different styles. And then there'd be a, a one or two like visitors that were, you know, they wanted to see what a local brewery was doing. And so you'd have this mix of, you know, strangers and they'd all be having this interaction with the bartender. They'd be enjoying this beer. And then they'd start talking together about the beer and then they'd start talking together with the bartender and learning together. And then pretty soon, they're just talking about anything else. They're talking about their own lives or what they were doing up on the ski mountain that day. And they're they're sharing a conversation and all of a sudden they become friends. And we really saw something special happening there. We knew that um, we saw that we saw breweries were becoming a new third space, um, kind of that community living room. And that was the opportunity we were looking for. We We loved beer. Um, that's what a lot of my background in was in biochemistry and microbiology and, and working on fermentation sciences. And I loved brewing beer in the lab. Um, and we saw that opportunity with there's something really cool happening around a good brewery that can tell a good story about, about the beer they're making, about why they did it, about the history of the styles. And when you get that product around people and they start talking to each other, something really amazing happens. Mm. Yeah. Hey, before I forget, did you know Charlie Fleck? I know the name. Yep. Okay. And when you say gymnast, you know, I'm obviously older than you. I, I remember Charlie was instrumental in, yep. in getting a lot of the demonstration teams, I'll call them, yep. um, really ingrained in the community and did some wonderful things. And Fargamore is blessed to have you know some great programs. So it was that that journey that you just described and those experiences that predated really your your professional career's uh, CRNA. Yep. Where, where where along the the career path that being involved in anesthesia did you say eventually I need to pull the plug and how did that work? How, how do you kind of mentally prepare yourself for that as an entrepreneur? First. 
for stepping away from practice full-time. Yeah. You know, that was really never something I envisioned doing. Um, You know, I would say that in the brewery, we do not set goals of how big we want to be, how much beer we want to make. We almost don't use any metrics as far as our strategic planning. Um, We set our metrics on the warm and fuzzies on some intangible goals that we have for ourselves about um, things that fall back to that true mission of catalyzing moments where people come together, challenging the definition of what beer can be challenging the definition of what, um, what a, what a great experience can be and really innovating on those worlds. And um, because of that, I don't think we really ever, we never put much thought into where we were going. Um, we, we, or I should say where we were going to end up. Um, you know, I think we never really thought of ourselves as ending at any point. Um, you know, an end point is maybe just a snapshot on, on your continued path. And we did not envision, um, getting this big, getting this, um, uh, having the opportunity to do these types of community events that we did. We, we really thought, thought very small and stayed focused on that nuclear idea that we had. So it was kind of surprising to me as the brewery grew, as our beer style, as we were kind of inventing beer styles, and that was starting to get national attention. That um, I was starting to realize that, you know, my job in the brewery um, was, um, I you know, very specific, and I I could was trying to plan strategically for everything we were doing and, and making sure we stayed on the right path. And that became more and more difficult as the brewery got busier, we had more opportunities and I was in practice full-time. Anesthesia is great because it's a lot of call, it's a lot of overnights, it's a lot of post-call days off. Um, So I, I worked every hour of the day that I could, you know, around the clock did that. And um, that was um, only possible because I have like the world's most amazing wife who um, is unbelievably supportive and, um, you know, took care of everything at home. I never really had any guilt um, put on me for not being around. And like, she always used to say, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm not out on a snowmobile trip, snowmobile trip every weekend. I'm, you know, we're out there, we're building something. We were both in complete agreement about what we were doing and uh, same thing with all of my partners. Um, But Doing that double life, um, you know, I did that for about six years, and I started to notice that the more time I spent at the brewery, the better the brewery did. The more the team was in step, the more that um, the less stressed they were because they had clear guidance on where things were going. So I, I kind of set a plan to slowly start stepping away from from practice, and I, I went from full time to point point nine, and then point eight. So I had a couple days off a week. And, um, then it hit a point where, um, the more, the more I stepped away, the more the brewery grew, the more, the more we were able to achieve those things. And so I started creating my own problem where the more I stepped away, the more, the reason that I needed to step away, uh, came up and what made that really an easy decision for me was, um, for one, it's so rewarding to work with the team that we have here at Drecker and Brewhalla. Um, it is just infectious and magnetic to be around these people. And once that culture is is going, that's where you want to be. It's, um, it, it's just so amazing to work here every day with these people um, that that's, 
I knew that's what I wanted to do. That would be the most fulfilling uh, career I could ever have. But then also um, for me to step away any further at the hospital, um, I was going to lose my specialties. Um, I had specialized in cardiothoracic anesthesia and obstetric anesthesia. I loved that part of my practice. Um, it was everything that I really ever wanted. Uh, and the, those two are um, lots of call, um, lots of emergencies, lots of things that come up urgently. And that means that you pretty much have to be full-time. There's no way to do that type of work half-time or quarter-time or you know, every once in a while. You have to be doing that every day in the OR, you know, challenging yourself and staying up on your skills. And so I knew that that wasn't going to work. I knew that I didn't want to practice you know, part-time in those specialties. Um, I knew that that wouldn't be the way I would want to practice. And so when I was faced with... Um, I'm only going to do anesthesia the way I love it and in the specialties that I love. And if that's not possible with stepping away, then I have to be done. And this is a good time to step away. And it, it made it a really clear decision to me that I love anesthesia. I love the practice that I have. Um, and I, I'm not going to do anything that compromises what I love about it. I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to do a same day surgery center where I can work at once a week. Um, that's not what I'm passionate about. And I'm certainly not going to exit my career caring less and less uh, about what it is that I do there. I want to, I want to step out doing exactly what I loved. I want to go back to your, your comment about we don't use metrics in terms of, um, how much bill beer we want to sell, et cetera, et cetera. So you're, you're, you're reading the room. What you, am I, is what I think I'm hearing. You're gauging the atmosphere in the room based on the customers, um, how they're interacting, how they're communicating, how they're socializing, how they're connecting in terms of how well you're doing. And, and, and I don't mean to be putting words in your mouth. I just think I'm hearing this. And then from there, you kind of plan on what's the next uh, step for us to make sure that we grow that way and keep them satisfied with the environment that's been created. Is that kind of close? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a, a little difference in, in how we do things here. Um, but, but you're right. We don't, um, we don't focus on hitting a certain revenue. We don't focus on making a certain amount of beer. Um, we don't cert focus on, um, you know, having a certain number of buying accounts for our beer, which are, you know, normal metrics. We don't, um, we don't, we don't do any of that. We focus on who we are um, and what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And then we focus on finding ways to fulfill that. Um, and our belief is that if, if we keep innovating and we keep creating new beer styles, um, challenging the expectations of what beer could be, um, delivering unique events and experiences and fun merch and, and doing things that are in an immersive package. And we keep pushing that. Um, we will find the right people. They will get what we're doing. Um, we'll, we'll find those early adopters and then this thing will snowball and we'll eventually have a community around us that will be, um, you know, in love with the immersive experience they get here, in love with the energy that's created around it. 
But I think the important distinction is that um, we care about the customer experience. We want we want them to be a part of this dream. But when we're thinking up the ideas, when we're thinking up events, when we're thinking up beers, the customer is not in our mind. Um, and it's it's not because we don't care about the customer. It's because um, thinking about what the customer wants actually clouds our judgment. Uh, if we think about what the customer wants, um, you know, and we're responsive to that, we're going to keep doing the same thing that's been done. Um, like what Henry Ford said, if if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would they would ask for a faster horse. So we don't ask people what type of horse they want. We're thinking of what this car could be. And we don't ask people what type of beer they want. We we really actually try and um, not respond to what customers are asking for. We have to go back and say like, you know, they might be asking for this thing, but is this really, is this type of beer something we should be doing? Is this this type of event something that we should be doing? And um, we make sure that those two things stay on their own separate paths. It's, it's our belief that if we want to innovate and if we want to create new things, um, people will, people will find what we're doing and it will, it'll open new doors for them. It'll be, um, it'll be an amazing experience and that's, what's going to attract them to us. Not because we're responsive to the ideal beer that they want or what they think a fun event is. Um, if that's the case, we're going to be exactly like every other brewery they've ever interacted with. And that is not what we want to do. I'm chuckling, Mark, because one of my heroes and mentors, and I had the great privilege of providing a eulogy at both of his funerals. He's one of those guys that required two. I worked for him for a number of years, Jim Lackaduck, Jim owned it. You're probably too young to remember this, but he owned at one time, along with his brother, Larry, KQWB and Q98 Radio. And I worked for Jim over in Bismarck. I was there for 37 years. One time we were talking about listeners' input with regards to music and what they'd like to hear. <laughs> and one day he tells me, he might have even been over a beer, by the way. He said, Mike, you know, if you... Let your listeners program your radio station. No one's going to listen to it. <laughs> you, 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 you value them as listeners. You like their input. But if you program your radio station based on what they want to hear, no, you're, you're not going to have the listening audience that you want. So I kind of heard that in what you were saying. So you opened up a little over 10 years ago at, at uh, Drecker. And... I can share with you a guy that lived in Bismarck for 37 years and just recently moved back to the town that I grew up in, the Fargo-Moorhead area. I'd been hearing about Drucker uh, over in Bismarck. It was a, um, there was just a lot of buzz about it. How did it take very long for it to to really catch on the way that you were hoping it would? Um, you know, time is an illusion. Um, I, I don't know what a long time or short time is anymore. Um, you know, things that I feel like are yesterday were actually a decade ago. And that's part of being a business owner. That's part of, you know, being so close to, um, you know, being so close to the inside drive inside a company that really is focusing on innovating. Um, time is irrelevant to us. Um, but it, 
it did take a while. And I'd say it was, it was harder than, um, than most people maybe would think. Um, you know, there's that, um, that kind of adage that, um, that in a business, um, you know, you can work for years and focus and, and sweat on this thing, pushing it, trying to get people to come on board and trying to convince people and it won't work. It won't work. And then at some point you'll hit that tipping point, um, that exponential part of the curve where the same inputs now start generating, you know, incredible outputs and, um, and people are going to call you an overnight success. And you will know that this did not happen overnight, that those same people fought you, you know, a year ago or six months ago, that they weren't willing to do it. And now they're your biggest supporters. That's okay. Um, you know, we all live on that, that bell curve of early adoption to late adoption to, you know, the middle ground for lots of different things in our life. Um, but where, where we, um, probably were challenged the most. And I think, I think back and I can think of a a few circumstances where we, we really dug our heels in and insisted on staying who we were. Um, there were a few moments where we, um, we drew a line in the sand with whether it's with our wholesalers, with it, you know, beer accounts that wanted to buy our beer or customers in our tap room that, um, we knew we were going somewhere that people couldn't see yet. And they were trying to change us into what they wanted, what would make sense in the short term, what, what, what had made sense before, uh, for other companies or other breweries. And, um, I just remember there was a clear point when we were, um, starting to can our product. Uh, we were getting ready for that rollout and liquor stores and wholesalers, you know, everyone wants the 999 four pack. Um, that's the, that's a line that you really shouldn't cross that anything above that is going to reduce volume. It's going to, um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a no man's land, especially for a new brand. And we looked at it and we said, you know, we can't make the beers that we want to make with any sort of, with any sort of price constraints. Um, we are not price gougers. We, we're not, we're not trying to go for, you know, the most amount of shelf price that we can, but we're going to make beers the way we want to make them. We want to make styles that are new, innovative, totally boundary pushing. And um, we presented this portfolio that we were going to launch all of our cans with. And it was, it was all of the experimental beers that we were doing in the tap room that we loved and very small focus on, we would call them the normie beers that we did make because we like them. They're, they're good to have every once in a while, but and that's what was uber popular in the beginning. Cause that's what people can adopt to earlier that they, they love a good Irish red. They, they want a nice clean lager, you know, a standard IPA. And we said, we're pushing all those beers to the back seat. All we care about are these weird new ones. And um, the comments we got from a few wholesalers from some liquor stores where you're never going to sell very much of this stuff. And we said, we had to say to them that that's not our goal. We don't care how much we sell. We, we will make as much as sells. Um, we are going to keep innovating on these styles. Our goal is not to be your best selling brewery. We, we don't care how much revenue you make off of us. We don't care how much customers uh, buy of this stuff. But we know that we're doing something special, that these beers, they, we need to make them. They're burning inside of us. We have this passion. And if this is why we go to business, 
we will be very happy to claim the reason why we went out of business. And, and if this is what it's for, this is what it has to be for. Um, and that, that honestly, that that's a moment where probably the most forward that we ever had to get because it's with our wholesale partners who really are partners. Um, and we had to disagree with them with liquor stores who are about to be our best customers. And we're telling them, no, we're not going to do what you want to do. Um, and that we had to fall back on that core belief that, you know, we know who we are and we know how we do things. And, um, we are only focusing on that. That can, that can be the only thing that drives us. And the other part that, um, has all had always been a part of the way we made decisions as a team. And those, those really trying moments helped us codify a little bit was that as a business, um, we don't choose our success. Uh, we don't choose where we want to go with that success. Um, we kind of think that that's all luck. That's that's a place that we don't really know where we're going to end up. But we will we will choose our failures. We we are willing to choose how we're going to fail, and that does two things for us. That for one, that makes sure that um, that we're willing to put up with whatever it takes to get to where we're ultimately going to end up. I think some people don't realize that, that everyone sees the Instagram highlight reel. They think that, you know, who they're trying to emulate and they look up to, they see their, they see the highlight reel and they think, I want all of that. I want, I want those types of pictures. I want to be on that podium. I want, I want those types of things. You think about the Olympic athlete, you think I want to win a gold medal and I want to be on that podium, but driving for a podium win does not get you through the next four years, you have to want the struggle. You have to you have to be willing to do the the fight, the struggle, the personal change, and um, that's what you have to want. And it, it, to put it another way, you have to choose how much how much crap you're willing to deal with, not not what type of success you want. And um, the other side of that is that. As a company, when we think of things as like fatalities, if we're going to make a decision over, you know, is this this is going to be hard? We're going to choose the amount of um, the amount of difficulty that we we're willing to tolerate. Um, but also, when we think about it as a fatality, we approach decisions on if this is the reason we go out of business, if this is a reason we falter, are we willing to are, are we willing to live with that? And you know. There was no way that we were willing to go out of business making all normie beer, turning into a regional brewery, having a major sales model, and going towards metrics. We knew that if that failed and we had done that and you know disregarded our core beliefs and everything, we we couldn't live with that. We would never be proud of what we did because we sold out. We didn't, we didn't stick to what we were supposed to do. And so then the alternative in that moment was that we believed in these types of beers. We wanted to create this community space. We knew we had to do something that would be magnetic and draw people to the beer, the brewery and come to our events and, and be shocked by these beers. And if that doesn't work and people don't want that, that's fine. We, we will die on that, on that push every day of the year that that that's okay with us. If we own a business for that, that's cool. And I think that, um, the more I talk to other entrepreneurs, that's a common thought for people is that, you know, there's this, there's this thought in the back of your head for every business owner is, you know, how am I going to go out or how am I going to get, how am I going to get taken out? 
Um, and very rarely does a business get to choose how they exit, um, what they go down for. And we want, you know, so internally, we want to be the ones choosing the mistake that that does that. And if that means that we we make a mistake that didn't resonate with customers that you know we we put too much focus on, um, but it was what we believed, then we're okay with that. It was under mm-hmm. our control and our and, and it was it fell back on what we believed in, and that just meant it was the end of our life cycle. I loved everything you just said, but I'm really clinging on to two. Great sound bites, by the way. We're totally boundary pushing, which I really liked. And you have to want the struggle. Um, maybe no finer words for entrepreneurs, right? So Drecker's open for you know a little over ten years. It's going well. Somewhere along the line, you're thinking there's a next step we have to take, and that leads to Bruhala which is absolutely stunning, by the way. Where did that kind of happen? And was it from the the beginning, was it going to, was it always going to be this incredible gathering, connection, relationship building space that you've created? Um, You know, that's, those are some of the the goals that we had, um, but we didn't really know what what the framework was going to be, what it what what it would what it would mean if that's what we were trying to create. Um, and there was there was a um, probably a more important um, you know fork in the road where we had to decide which way we wanted to go to as a brewery. Um, you know we're we're selling more beer than we've ever dreamed possible in North Dakota. We send beer to, you know, um, Europe and UK and Japan and China every month. We, um, we distribute to 30 States now in in the U S we have phenomenal partners all over that, um, that work with us. And, you know, our beer sells out instantly. It's crazy. Um, every wholesaler is, you know, demanding more and liquor stores want more and, and more people contact us every day about how do I get your beer in this state or here um, why don't you expand to this area? And um, we had to have a really good look inside the company that, you know, reaching more people and pushing out our mission, that does stay within our core beliefs. We're not just growing for the sake of growing, that there are people that want in. They want to experience what we're doing. So so, so can we meet that? And um, what where we came to was that at this point, the brewery is completely maxed out. We can't add more tanks to it. Um, we could do a total fundamental overhaul and um, you know, probably put out double or triple the beer if we wanted to put the capital resources into doing that. But when we go down a line of ripple effects that that causes, um, we felt very strongly that that, that type of growth and meeting that types of sales demand that we have was going to change us. It was going to change us into a company that we weren't sure we wanted to be. Um, you know, I've, I said it before in this talk and I, I say it every chance I can, we have the most amazing people here. We've got an unbelievable culture and um, that is something that at this point we protect 
against everything else. And there was a feeling in the back of our heads that if we kept growing, we kept getting bigger, if we had to double or triple our team and build out this sales force and you know become that type of a company, that wouldn't be the same culture that we have at the current moment. And that left us in this really weird quagmire where we knew that we were on a path of fulfilling a goal. We wanted to, there was people demanding this stuff, but then internally we, we owe it to ourselves to also live out that goal internally and be a great place to work and, and be a great opportunity for people that work here and be a part of that team. And when those two things came to conflict, um, we knew that the part that we had to protect the most was our team and our culture and what was going on inside the brewery. So we decided that growing the brewery and our footprint and distribution was not the right decision at that at that time. But that didn't mean we had to stop. There are people that are asking to be in on this. They they're coming to Fargo. They're they're traveling now because it's so hard to get. So we started hearing this other opportunity that that they love what we're doing so much that now they travel here, that they buy our merch online, that they they trade with friends to get our beer and, and they love what's going on and they just want to visit the brewery. And that's something pretty special if we can get people to come to Fargo in the end of March when it's snowing <laughs> like this. And so we we had to we stepped back and we said, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean to really to really make the most magnetic place on earth that we can think of for our brand. That if people are wanting to come and visit us, they want to be a part of the magic and the energy that the community is is focusing on here. What do we deliver in that? And that's where the ideas and the components for Bruhala started coming from. And we started building it for that reason, that we're creating a space for people to travel to. We're creating a place to show off the best of Fargo and the region. And we're creating a space for whether you're local, traveler, business, this is a place to gather. This is a place where unique events can happen. Great moments are catalyzed. And it's all wrapped in this weird fever dream kind of story, artwork, and experience that we love creating at Drecker. So that's where, that's where Brujala came from. And it is amazing. And 1702 First Avenue North in Fargo, three or four stories. I can't remember now. It has um, retail, beer, food, amazing food, event space, boutique hotel that'll be opening up, um, and more. Um, Share with me kind of the process of how you were able to, I mean, you, you have great partners in that space. I mean, absolutely wonderful partners that, have other locations. What was the process like to reach out and say, hey, do you want to be part of this? And were they all immediately on board? Kind of walk me through that. Yeah, well, a lot of that stems from one of our one of our core beliefs. And one of the one of the reasons that we um, one of the we, we delineate the ways we work and what you know, the ways that Drecker is supposed to work and what that means. And one of them is we say is to play well with others. Um, that means inside of our team. Um, and that means uh, just as importantly, outside of the community that we collaborate with people, we find new ways to work with other organizations, organizations that are um, not on the same you know, product line as us too, that we, we work with 
anyone that can share that same belief, what can we do together? So we've been lucky enough to find other really amazing um, craft people, entrepreneurs, dreamers in the community and get to work with them on really special things. So um, we already had great relationships with, with lots of these people. And when we, the way we went about finding them um, was we spent a couple of years traveling, visiting other markets, um, trying to be systematic and quantitative about what was going on in these markets, what made a good market work, what made a bad market feel weird or sterile. Um, and so we went and we evaluated and critiqued every market we went to. And what came out of that was we found a list of common denominators in every market that we thought were the, the key essential ingredients to making um, a diverse experience for covering people's bases, um, things that were, you know, always a guaranteed want. And then also things that were kind of a whimsical, this is, you know, this is something really cool. And I, I want to experience it, even if it's not um, something they would normally patronize. Um, you know, like one of the best markets I was at had this like in, in uh, indoor mushroom growing room. And it was cool to see. And it was people would just stand around and look at this stuff. And it, it was, it was beautiful. It was something you'd never seen before. And all of a sudden people are buying mushrooms that they've never, they would never have thought to buy culinary mushrooms, but they're doing it. And those were the types of things we were looking for. Not necessarily the best sellers, but what were going to be the coolest experiences. And so we got that list together and, um, you know, it's every place has ice cream or gelato or some frozen treat. Uh, every place has a pastry shop, uh, pizza, coffee, um, you know, gift shop, all these cool things. We had this list together. And we, we, after visiting, you know, tens and tens of markets, we were, um, we were looking at this list and it was just getting stronger. And we thought, okay, so who, what's our list going to be? Let's pick, pick the components that we want. And we looked at it. We said, well, we know who's doing the coffee. We know who's doing the pizza. We know who's doing the gelato. We, we know all these people. <laughs> um, so we kind of, um, got a pitch together, describe, you know, got this in a way that we could go and start sharing this with other people and um, sat down. And I think a lot of them were pretty surprised <laughs> at what we showed them. Um, but really, we didn't talk about, um, just like inside a director, we didn't talk about um, what your projected revenue would be in this building, how many people we expect to be coming through. We talked about what this is going to feel like. That imagine what this is going to be. To be in the middle of this market, we're doing, you know, there's a birthday party going on upstairs. We're throwing a beer festival in there. There's hotel guests coming, you know, weird artwork, a killer playlist. We are just driving out the vibe of what we think the most fun place is. We're going to have cool artwork. It's going to be this unique space and you're going to be right in there with us. And we, we talk about what it will feel like to be here. And, and um, it goes back to that idea, like, um, you know, Simon Sinek is one of our biggest role models and who we try and emulate the most that people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. That if you want to speak to somebody's, um, if you want to speak to, to drive action, you have to, you have to get, you have to speak to their gut. You have to, you have to evoke an emotion. Logic is not going to tip somebody over on this. We can't say that, you know, this is the right move for you. This is where your customers are. This is how much money you're going to make. This is where your growth is. Um, those are those are logical, and that doesn't that doesn't drive emotion or that doesn't drive action. Um, and so, luckily, everyone that we pitched on it 
believes in the same things that we do. They also yearn for those types of experiences and that type of a community engagement. And everyone was, I mean, it was a resounding just hell yeah, let's do this. Let's figure out how it's going to work. And we can do details later. But if you're in for this idea and you're in for the dream, you know, we'll be able to figure anything out. And I, I've got to tell folks that Deb and I were there actually for the soft opening. I'm glad we didn't try to get in the next day because it was uh, pretty hectic. It's amazing what you guys have done at Blue Hall. By the way, that's B-R-E-W-H-A-L-L-A, Bruhalla.com, or a Drekker Brewing, D-R-E-K-K-E-R, Brewing Company. It's just absolutely a stunning place. Very experiential, immersive. I'm going to use how you, but you say it's a very immersive experience. And you just have knocked it out of the park. When do you think the hotel will, is that getting kind of close to be ready? They're they're almost completely done with the rooms at this point. Um, And you know, a few kind of cut list um, punch items in there. We expect to have the hotel turned over to us in the next couple of weeks, you know, by the middle, by the middle of April. And, but um, because we're a very small team and um, we, we care a lot about what this experience is going to be for customers. um, We're going to take quite a few weeks to train, test, build this out. And then, do a lot of soft stays and, and um, non-public testing on the hotel and make sure we can dial in this experience. It's not going to be a normal hotel. It's not going to be um, like one of the chains that you've stayed at. This is going to be our hotel done in a way that we think makes it fun, makes it a cool experience, um, feeds the market and continues that connection to local businesses and small makers and artisan craft people and part of the experience that's going on in the public spaces here we want to make sure that everything plays well with um, inside the building and our goal is at this point is to have that ready to go by the end of may um but if at the end of the may we're not feeling comfortable it'll it'll be later it'll, it'll be whenever whenever we're comfortable with it yeah, so it's going to be potentially ready for the Fargo Marathon. I mean, potentially. It might be. <laughs> Unpillage. I I just love what you're doing as a team in the community to make a difference. It kind of walked me through how you came up with the Unpillage events where you're you're, you're literally giving back. Yeah. Well, um, we live and die by community support. Um, We were from this area. We live in this area. Um, We care, you know, intimately and deeply about what happens uh, outside of the walls of the brewery. You know, we know that we don't succeed in a vacuum. Uh, We're not, we're not totally control of our own destiny. We need a great community around us. Um, What really is inspiring to us and is, is how many great organizations there are in the community in the Fargo Moorhead area and in the region that are doing uh, needed work, um, serving um, serving populations and people that um, 
you know, that are in need, um, that have unique and evolving um, needs and demands. And, and, and those organizations themselves have different needs. And so we can cut checks and just support them. Um, we're happy to do that as a company, just like a lot of companies do and donate it back. But we also know that because we're a community space, um, because we have a microphone um, that not many other businesses have, um, and we're willing to say some things that maybe some other businesses aren't willing to say. And I, 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 I don't say that in a shameful way. We have the opportunity to be a lot more honest with our customers than I think a lot of places do. And so we take that seriously. We look at those as opportunities and privileges that we have. And so that's how we use uh, the Unpillage program is to say, um, if you're an organization that wants to get out in front of the community and, and share, just bring exposure to the cause that you're working on. If it's trying to find volunteers to help with this, um, you know, some organizations actually have a great, uh, a great service they're providing, but they're having trouble explaining that to the people that would need it and getting out there. And so we turn over our tap room. Uh, we let them use the space however they want. You know, we, we, we lift up their organization and, and kind of spread the word a little bit and then give them the opportunity to use that time in the tap room to connect with people, whatever feeds their mission and their goals. Mm. And it's great to learn from, from them, learn what they need in the community. Um, when we do that, we also look for service projects that we can do with them as well. Uh, one of the, one of the most amazing and confusing um, but rewarding things we get at the breweries, people people email us all the time asking if they can volunteer at the brewery. They're like, I love what you guys are doing so much. I love your team. Every time I'm in there, everyone is just, there's there's such a vibe going on. I want to be a part of it. And it's, we always say like, well, we can't really let volunteers come and work in the brewery with you know hot hot liquids and all the things we do, our insurance company would drop us in a heartbeat. Um, but if, but if you're willing to volunteer at the brewery, um, would you also be willing to just volunteer with the brewery? And if, if we put a group together and we find the organizations, um, our team will get together, you can join us and we'll find projects to do together. So we do things like stocking food, um, food pantry shelves, um, you know, cleaning up uh, river corridors and planting trees, um, finding all different types of things to do. And that's, um, that's been really rewarding for our team to, to stay together and, and to really see that positive impact in the community. Um, I think the biggest moment we noticed that was when COVID hit. Um, we kept all of our taproom staff on payroll. Um, we, we did the thing with PPP and gave it all out to the employees and we, we kept them all on, on payroll and um, we kept our team together. And um, when we were having team discussions about what's going on and taking care of everybody, um, it came from some of the people in the tap room that weren't working in the tap room, that the tap room wasn't open, but we were finding other things for them to do. They brought up some other needs in the community. And so we looked into it more and I know we spoke with um, the, you know, the emergency food pantry and the senior citizen um, meals on wheels, both those organizations, um, you know, it was a, a vast majority of their volunteers were over the age of 65, you know, very risky population to be out there at the beginning of the, um, the pandemic and volunteering and um, doing those things. So they lost those volunteers. Our team said, 
that why don't we pick that up? We have delivery trucks that aren't being used every day of the week that we've got taproom team that isn't there. And so that was what we said is that you can, we'll schedule you your regular hours. Um, you come in, we're going to find service projects for you. And so we, we ran, um, you know, our crew ran, um, multiple routes every, every day for the meals on wheels. We went and stocked after hours at the food pantry. Um, other people kind of eventually started coming on and volunteering with us. And, um, that's, that was really rewarding to see our team want to do that to help out the community. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, when we preach that and when we live by that, and when, when the people that work here see how important the community is to us and how much the community supports us, um, it, it becomes a very logical thing to make sure that you want to keep Fargo an awesome place to live, take care of those in need in this community and really, um, really help grow and evolve this place into a special, um, a special place. Yeah. By the way, I saw on the website, the, the June date for cleaning up the, the, the river space. And thank you for doing that. And immediately struck a very personal responsive quote for me because my wife, along with another person, started a Keep Bismarck Beautiful project, which was taking a day and cleaning up as much litter as possible in the city of Bismarck, teaming up with the city. And it was just an amazing experience. Thank you for doing that because it, it um, nothing makes your community, you know, more attractive than removing some of the, the litter that it happens, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a magic wand, Mark. You can wave it over the heads of everyone listening. What do what do you want them to know about Ruhala or or Drecker, either one? And uh, why don't you go ahead and give a pitch for what they should know? <laughs> That's a fun question. You know, um, you know, all that we really ask of people is, um, you know, to to keep an open mind. Um, if you want to do something fun, if you want to be uh, a part of something really special, come and check us out. Um, we're not going to convince you um, with um, by by telling you all the products that we have and all the special things here. We're going to convince you that this is this is a place that you want to hang out. That this is where the community comes together. This is where really special things happen, um, and it's. Um, it's a place where you know we think about this is a building where where a life is lived, where experiences are had. Um, and we cannot wait to see what the community does here. We want the community to be a part of this um, and help us help us find that direction along. and if if that's something you're in for, um, come down, check it out and um, and and see what we've got going on here. yeah and and by the way, just because it you know, Launch through really the efforts of your team that created Drecker Brewing. It it's a family space too. You, you don't. There's something for every age group, in my opinion, under the roof at yep. Ruhala. It's it's really a special special place, Mark. Well, I mean that's something that we really strive for is to make this a place that everyone feels comfortable. Um, that that there's really a, a space for all the people in our community. Um, and you know, that includes, um, you know, families, kids, you know, people from all walks of life. Um, that's a newer concept. I think sometimes for people in North Dakota who are used to alcohol establishments being blacked out windows and, um, you know, dark rooms where, um, (laughs) where you go and over consume, we really don't, we don't push over consumption. We, we, 
we push uh, enjoyment of consumption that uh, it's quantity or quality over quantity. And um, you know, over you really see people enjoying a drink, sharing time here. There's kids running around, um, you know, enjoying gelato or different treats or um, Unicorn Park even has an awesome like boxed up kids cheeseburger and fries menu with a little little toy in there for kids that, that we're looking for that experience, not just for adults on beer, but for kids with treats and toys and, and really fun artwork and cool, cool spaces um, that it's for everyone to come and enjoy and, and really use as a community space. There's, there's not many places like this um, in our area where people can go and spread out, hang out, see a lot of their friends get together. Um, and that's really what we want Bruhala and Drecker to be is a place where the whole community can come together um, love the space they're in, love the energy that they're a part of, um, and create memories and moments. Well, what a great conversation I've had this morning with Mark Bjornstead, the president and co-founder of Strecker Brewing and Bruhala. And if you, I think if you just go to Bruhala, B-R-E-W-H-A-L-L-A.com, you can pretty much learn Everything you need to know, is that fair, fair yep. statement? So our, our website is bruhala.co. So just co on, on the Bruhala side. Oh, we've got, no, you're good. We've got all the information with ours, um, the different businesses that are a part of here, um, how to stay up to date on the hotel. And if you're interested in, in doing an event with us, um, that's one of our biggest passions is we love helping people pull off really cool events, whether that's for your you know, a family member's birthday party, a, um, a retirement celebration, whether it's at your company. Um, we don't do boring stuff here. We we love taking a chance to do something out of the box, challenging the norm and really pulling off a really cool event for you. And sometimes that's just, um, that's just being in the space and a part of the energy where um, this is not um, a common place for a corporate mixer, um, but these are the ones that you actually get people to come to. Um, and it's, it's a ton of fun um, dreaming up those ideas with people and then delivering. So if, if those are something you're interested in, whether it's a wedding, corporate mixer, birthday party, we love to do those types of events. You can find more information about that um, on our website. Ruhala.co. I love it. Mark Bjornstedt, totally boundary pushing. Hey, thanks so much for joining me, Mark. I'll see you again soon at Ruhala. That sounds great, Mike. I'd love Take to share beer. Thank you for having me. Thank you.